It's certainly great to be back with all of you. Um, last week, um, if you were here, you noticed I wasn't. Um, I was actually preaching in our gathering in Pyeongtaek, which was a big blessing um, and a, an encouragement. But I'm certainly excited to be back with all of you and, of course, uh, thrilled to jump back into the wonderful book of John together. Uh, if you are new to our gathering uh, this morning or newer to our community, even in the last three weeks, uh, we've been working through the book of John for the better part of this year. And where we left off uh, when we stopped was John chapter 8. Um, in our text, we are six months away from Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we find ourselves in Jerusalem, specifically at the temple, right at the end, the final days of what is called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It's this time in Israel where the majority of the Jewish people would come together. They would gather together in Jerusalem around the temple for about a week to celebrate God's provision, to celebrate God's leading in his direction. And it's here at this celebration, it's during these ceremonies where Jesus makes these really profound claims. Uh, he said during this feast, he said that he is the living water, that if you want true life, you need to go to him. He's told the crowd that um, he has come from heaven, and that's where he is going back to. And then the last time, it was three weeks ago, we were in John, we learned that Jesus proclaimed himself mightily to be the light of the world. He said, if you follow me, you'll no longer walk in darkness, but experience true life. Well, at these claims, we know there are a lot of different responses to Jesus, right? Some were confused. Others were angry. And then there was another category of people that we saw in verse 30 of chapter 8, where it said there, as he, Jesus, as Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. So that's where we left off in John's gospel. Well, today, what we're going to see is that Jesus specifically addresses these people here in verse 30. He is going to talk broadly to the religious group who hated him. But more specifically, we're going to see Jesus talk to the many, the many who were there who said that they now believed. And I think what we're going to discover today is really surprising. Perhaps for some of us here today, it's going to be shocking. Because what Jesus is going to say to these people that day is this. Hey, look, I know that you've been listening to me. And I know in, in response to that, you say that you believe in me. But let me tell you who you are. It says this in verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. Uh, Jesus says to these people, and let's not sugarcoat this, um, he says to this people, to the crowd, you are children of Satan. And I'm not sure it can get much harsher than that. <laughs> and here's the truth. Here's the reality for us today. What Jesus is ultimately saying in this text here today in John 8 is that each and every one of us, every single one of us, is a child of someone. And there are only two options. You are either a child of God, or you are a child of Satan. And there's no other category. There's no in-between. And so, we have before us this morning a pretty harsh text, right? Aren't you excited that you're here? 
uh, finish the prayer fasting, you know, going out with some encouragement. You're the child of God or a child of Satan. <laughs> That's the message. Um, we have before us today this, this intense passage, um, but more than its intensity, it's urgent. This text is meant to serve as a warning to us, and in that, this passage is actually full of great grace. You see, Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to be able to answer the question, who do I ultimately belong to? He wants us to be able to assess for ourselves, am I a true disciple? Because listen, listen, there are so many in our world who profess Christ. We know this. If you look at the statistics, like global statistics of how many people say that they're Christian, the number is quite high. A quarter, maybe a third say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in God, right? Many people declare themselves to be believers in Jesus. But the question is, who of us is genuine? Who is truly following? We need, we need to be able to answer this question for ourselves. And we need to be able to answer this question for those who might be around us. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he said this, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. He says, test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? The question again this morning is, who passes the test? Who is considered a true child of God? That's what our text today in John 8 is all about. And so with that, let's enter this together. Verse 31 starts like this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, pause. Again, just for context's sake, because this is just so important, Jesus is now talking to the Jews who said that they believe in him in verse 30. And again, it's to these people that he's going to lay down the hammer, like lay the smack down, right? He, it's to those who say that they believe in him who he is going to, in a few minutes, say, you belong to Satan. And, and how can it be, how can it be that people who believe in him who believe in Jesus, who say that they believe in Jesus, even according to Jesus, can at the same time be called children of the devil. Well, we already know that there is such thing as false disciples. We know that there is such a thing as false faith, right? We've seen this throughout the Gospel of John. For example, just in chapter 6, we witnessed this. There was this crowd there that was around Jesus, They're following Jesus, they're believing in Jesus, and they are with Jesus because Jesus was meeting their physical needs. Jesus was doing the miraculous around them and before them, giving them, literally, giving them bread to eat. And so, it says in the text, they believed him and they followed him. But the moment that things presented a challenge, the moment that things got hard, The moment they listened to teaching from Jesus that they didn't like, what happened? They all left him, right? So what we are seeing here now in John chapter 8, at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, is not a new issue. The Bible is full of people who say that they believe, but who don't really believe. 
Actually, our writer, the Apostle John, talks about these people very specifically in one of his letters. He says this in 1 John chapter 2, it's verse 19. He says this about these types of people. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. In other these people who are professing faith, living with us, fellowshipping with us, they left us that it might become plain that they are not of us. John is saying, there are going to be people who are going to be part-time, superficial, shallow, fake believers who won't last. They won't make it to the end. And Jesus is addressing those types of people here in our text. He says to them, you say that you believe in me. You say that you know me. But here's the truth about you. This starts again in verse 44. He says, you were of your father, the devil. And then listen, and your will is to do your father, the devil's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, now he puts it back on them, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Ouch. You say you follow the light, but you really belong to darkness. And by the way, Jesus will come into the city of Jerusalem. I've already said this. He'll come into the city of Jerusalem six months after this. And once again, many, many will proclaim him to be the Savior. They will profess him as their king. They will even throw palm branches at his feet as a, as a symbol and a sign of honor and glory and majesty. Thousands upon thousands will come together to do this. Possibly, possibly even several that are here in John chapter 8 will be there. And yet, it's these same people who just days later, we'll learn, will scream at Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. You see, false faith is everywhere. It's very common, and it's very, very dangerous. So how do we tell? How do we know who among us in our world is genuine, is real? And for some of us, for some of us here today, this is actually, this is really, really personal because you've struggled with this. Maybe you've never even told anybody, but you've really struggled with this. You sometimes wonder on your pillow at night, you sometimes wonder and ask yourself this question, am I really saved? Do, do I really belong to Jesus? Some of you wonder, does my spouse really know Jesus? What about my kids? What about my coworker who's going around saying that they're a follower of Jesus and a Christian, but oh, it just doesn't seem right. Something seems off. I think in some way we can all relate to this. 
There will be people who say they follow Jesus but don't really know Jesus. That's a fact. We know this from the scriptures. That there are some who fall into the category of false disciples. So again, how do we know? Well, that brings us back to our text. And what I want to ultimately do for us today is focus on two realities, two clear realities for us. For one, I want us to consider the benchmark to true discipleship. Okay, that's where we're going to start. The benchmark of true discipleship. And then second, I want us to look at the benefit of true discipleship. Okay? Keep it easy this morning. Hard, so I'll make this part easy. Hard truths, so easy points. The benchmark and the benefit. Starting with the benchmark, let's go back to verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, listen now, if you abide, in other words, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. So what's the benchmark that Jesus sets here? Well, it's clear. It's, it's perseverance. Or if you want another word for this, it's endurance. That's the issue. So how can you tell a true believer from a false one? It's perseverance. It's endurance. That's the benchmark. If you continue in my word, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, if you keep going in my word, press into, cling to my word, then you belong to me. And let me just say that phrase there is worth underlining and highlighting in your Bible, right? It's worth it. Write it down, highlight it, underline it. If you abide in my word, if you continue in my word, Jesus says, then you truly belong to me. And what does that mean? Well, most simply, it means obedience to everything that Jesus has said. It means to have a life pattern of obedience. That's why in Matthew chapter 28, in the famous Great Commission passage, Jesus says what there? He says to his disciples, go into all the world and do what? He says, teach people. Teach people what I have taught you. And then he says, teach them to observe or to follow. Or in other words, teach them to obey all that I have taught you, right? You see, when you and I made the decision to follow Jesus, what we're literally doing in that moment is confessing Jesus as Savior. But we're also confessing him to be the Lord. Jesus is our Savior. We are all in need of saving. We are desperate, depraved, helpless, and so we acknowledge him as the Savior, the Savior that we need. But we also say that, we also profess that, we also proclaim that Jesus is the Lord, which means that he is our master. He is our king, our ruler, which puts us in the position of a servant. Or a better word actually in the Greek is, puts us in the position of a doulos, a slave. He is the ruler. And that means that he gives the orders and that he gives the commands. As a follower of Jesus, my responsibility is to understand who Jesus is. And then from that understanding, respond to him in loving obedience. That's my responsibility. And this is not just a one-time action. 
This is not just a one-time decision. It's ongoing. It's progressive. This is why later in John chapter 14, we'll look at this in several weeks, Jesus will say this to his disciples in the upper room. It's Passover. They're in the upper room. He says this, if you love me, by the way, notice this is not a request. This is a statement of fact. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. He says, if you truly love me, then you will keep on doing as I've said. You will keep on, keep on obeying my words. And then just after that, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. You see, when you obey the word of God continuously, you are actually giving testimony. You're giving evidence that you truly love God and more than that, that you truly belong to him. This is what he is saying before the crowd here at this Feast of Tabernacles. If you abide in my word, if you follow my word, then you truly know me. Then you can be truly called a disciple. And to make sure that they clearly understand this that day, he says this again to them in verse 47. He says, whoever is of God hears, not just hears, that actually is an action, he hears and obeys, listens to, means I follow the words of God. It's a simple truth, but it is one that we desperately need to know. It all comes down to following Jesus' words. That's how you know if somebody loves Jesus. And by the way, Jesus modeled this for us himself. Because how do we know how do we know that Jesus loved God? How do we know that the Son actually loved the Father? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, actually. He says, you know I love the Father because why? Because I obeyed the Father. You know I love him because I did what he commanded to do. Actually, he says, in fact, I only did what my Father commanded me to do. All my decision-making, my life, my ministry, all of it was done understanding who my father is and obeying what he has said. So this is how we know where we stand. We follow the example of Christ. We walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. And how did Jesus walk? In obedience to the father. If you say you belong to Christ then you will walk in obedience to Christ, just as Jesus walked in obedience to the Father. So what's the mark of a true believer? I want us to notice this. What's the mark of a true believer? Notice in our text, it's not a profession. Notice it's not some past event that you can look back upon. No, no, no. It is a continual, present, continuous, loving obedience it's a persistent and persevering obedience out of love. This is how we know who is truly a disciple. You answer this for yourself. I answer this for myself. Do I know his word? And am I lovingly and eagerly obedient to it? 
And hear me now, that is not to say that we are perfect. We fall, we fail, we sin, we stumble. But listen, even in that, we, we hate sin. We hate the failure. We, we hate the stumbling. Because why? Because we love Jesus and we, we long to please him. So if you're asking yourself this morning, some of you are even right, like right here and now, you're asking yourself, but you're also asking it for others around you. And you're asking yourself, well, what about so-and-so? I would simply say, look at their life. Do they show a genuine and continual interest for the things of Christ? When you're with them, when you're having coffee together, when you're eating, do they ever talk about Jesus? Is there a longing to be more like him and to make him known? Is there change that you can see over the pattern of that person's life or over your own life? Is it clear they're trying to be more and more like Jesus? Are they finding ways to serve others? That's so evident to me all the time here. It's like people come in and right away I know, it doesn't mean that we're perfect, but the person comes and they're here and what can I do to serve? And it's right away. That's a, a, a sign of genuine, spirit-filled person. Are they eager to gather with the body of Christ? Do they long to be with the body of Christ? Because, by the way, gathering together is a command. Hebrews says very clearly, do not forsake the gathering of the saints, as is the habit of some. Some of us are in the habit of not being here when we have a decent enough excuse. No, the, the, the spirit-filled, spirit-empowered person who loves Jesus also loves the bride, longs to serve, longs to, to, to be on mission with the saints. Jesus says, this is the benchmark. Continue to press into and cling onto my word. Persevere in it. Grow in it. Learn it. Know it. Give your life to it. Well, now from there, we briefly see the benefit of true discipleship. That's where I want to spend several of our closing minutes on this. The benefit of true discipleship, I told you today, was going to be a little bit heavy, a little bit intense. This is not on my notes. I, I wrestled with this text more than any text in the book of John. I was thinking to myself, gosh, we just finished a week of prayer and fasting been super encouraged reading the book of Mark and I'm going to get up there and say to everybody you're sitting here today and you're a child of one of two people every single one of us God or Satan welcome to FEC we're so glad you're here we have a newcomers meeting afterwards we have some cookies and fresh brewed coffee for you okay so understand my heart posture here okay this is not like easy for me I wrestled with this. I, I toiled with it. Even in, my own, even in my own heart, there was part of me that didn't that want to have avoided this, but I can't. I can't. This is what Jesus has said. So please understand, this is out of love, not out of anger. The benefit of true discipleship. Thankfully, Jesus makes this point just as clear for us. Look at verse 32. Oh, what an amazing, what an amazing text. 
you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. It's a pretty incredible statement uh, when you really think about it. If you allow your heart to meditate on those words, it's really incredible. Because these concepts of truth and freedom are powerful, aren't they? I mean, think about it. In many ways, this is what people exist to discover. People's, people literally exist to discover these things. We, we all, every single one of us, not just here in this room, but not just you watching online, those in our, in our, in our neighborhood, in our city, they, they long to discover these things. We, we all want to find truth. We all want to be free. In a variety of ways, we're all pursuing these realities. Right, right, I think this makes sense to us. Listen, this makes sense. Nobody is seeking for ignorance, okay? No one is pursuing ignorance with their life. And likewise, no one that I know of is pursuing bondage. Right, do you know anyone in your life looking to be enslaved? That's their heart's desire. Right, do you know any people who are trying really hard to be stupid all their lives and avoid knowledge? That's the goal of my life, to be totally ignorant of everything, to not know the truth. No, of course not. People are looking for truth, and we're all looking for freedom. Why? Because our hearts are driven and designed by our Creator towards this direction. We all want truth that sets us free from our confusion. We all want truth that frees us from our lack of wisdom, from our struggles, from our troubles, from our dissatisfactions. We all want truth that frees us from our unfulfilled dreams and ambitions. Truth that frees us from our fears. Deep, deep down in our souls, this search goes on and on and on. And the unfortunate reality is that so many of us are looking in all the wrong places for the truth and freedom that we so earnestly desire. And this was the problem with the Jews. This is exactly their problem. They believed that because of their studies, because of their position, their status, their power, that they were coming to the truth. Actually, it's more than that. It's more than that. They believe that they had come into the truth, that they knew the truth. And so now Jesus stands before them and the truth comes to them and they reject it. And this is the world that we live in. So many examples I could give of, the, give of this. But the one I came up with is, you can pick the university of your choice. Go there. Spend time among the tens of thousands of students who are searching for truth. They're professors. Go there and, and try to offer them the truth. Stand there like that with boldness. I have the truth. I want to come here to tell you the truth. And when you do, see how well you're received. Go to the philosophy department and tell them you'd like to teach them about truth. Because you know the truth. You'd like to enlighten them that day. Right? See how welcome you are. Talk about Jesus Christ. Talk about the gospel. 
more. Talk about sin and judgment. Talk about righteousness and the kingdom. Tell them the truth. I promise you will not be welcome. Because it is the nature of fallen men and women to suppress the truth, even when it confronts us and shows up in front of us. This was the Jews in front of Jesus. Listen, don't miss this. They were literally right in front of Jesus. They're standing in front of the truth, Jesus Christ, but they would not receive him or his words. That's verse 45. Because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. He says, if I speak truth, why do you not believe me? That's what he says. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. And then he says, the reason you do not hear, why? Is because you are not of God. You see, the only, only the people of God can hear and believe the truth. Everybody else suppresses it. That was true back then, and it's true now. Only those who believe will know the truth. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's the benefit of believing, the benefit of true discipleship. You will know the truth, which means, which means, for those of us who are in Christ, belong to Christ, it is actually not so bold of us to say, I know the truth. As Christians, we know truth. We know the truth. That's not an arrogant statement. We know the truth. We have the truth. We belong to the truth. And just so we're clear, what truth are we even talking about here? Well, Jesus is talking about spiritual truth, eternal truth, salvation truth. He's talking about knowing who Jesus is and then ultimately the message of the gospel. He's talking about the truth of the word of God. That's why Ephesians chapter four, verse 21 says, truth is in Jesus, it says there. And it's why Jesus will say later in John 17, my word is truth. Doesn't get simpler than that. My word is truth. And I, Jesus, am the truth. Meaning, the words that I speak are truth. Okay? Because listen, Jesus is the only place that we can actually find truth. He's the only one we can go to, to discover truth. Hear me now. If you don't look to Jesus for the truth, you will never find the truth that sets you free. It won't happen. Not on cultural issues, financial decisions, relationship, drama, whatever. No, I, I go to the source of truth to find the answer. And that lies in Jesus. And every time I do that, the promise is when I come into the truth, I will be set free. Let's understand the context of these words as well, what Jesus is saying when he says, the truth will set you free. Because there's so much impact to what Jesus is actually saying here. Let's remember these Jewish people were part of a religious, legalistic system. And do you recall how Jesus characterized that system? He actually says to them, he says the same thing to us, but he's talking specifically to them in this moment. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That was a direct shot at their system. You see, these people were weary from, 
they were heavy laden with legalism, religious bondage, if you will, religious legalism. And so Jesus says, listen, leave that system, leave those patterns of life and follow me for that's where real life and joy and rest is found. The Jewish leaders had put a burden on the people that was unbearable. Even the leaders themselves could not shoulder and carry the system that they had created, which means they were stuck. Or for better, or for our context, better, we should say they were not free. They were in truly horrendous bondage to sin and false religion. Now, of course, right, they wouldn't admit that. In fact, they don't see that at all because look at what happens. Verse 33, they answer Jesus. Jesus says, you want to know if you're truly mine? You abide in my word. You abide in my word. You belong to me. The truth will set me free. Here's their response to those words. They say, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Follow this with me. The Jews knew their history, inside and out, backwards and forwards. They knew that they were enslaved by Egypt in their history, of course. That's what they're there celebrating at the Feast of Tabernacles, right? The deliverance of that. They knew that they were enslaved by Babylon. They knew they were enslaved by the Persians, partially by the Greeks. And at this very moment in history, they are in bondage to the Romans. They know that. And so, so we need to understand they are not actually talking about something political here. What they're saying to Jesus is, we are spiritually free because we are Abraham's children. That's what this is all about. They're saying, what are you talking about, Jesus? We're not lost. We're not in a bad position. We're not viewed as sinners by God, right? We're not the people who are going to face judgment. We're not under that oppression. We're the people of God. We belong to Abraham. Why are you saying to free people that we can become free? You see that here. They saw themselves as free spiritually. But we're about to find that they were grossly mistaken. And so Jesus answered them. This is verse 40, 34 now. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So what kind of freedom is Jesus offering to them here and ultimately offering to us here? Freedom from what? It's not freedom from a, from a political system or a government. It's freedom from slavery to sin. They were not free. They were slaves to sin. And how do we know that? Because the pattern of their life was to commit sin, present tense. That's what Jesus is saying here. You all continuously commit sin, demonstrating that you are a slave to your sin. Your corrupt religion is sin. And so King Jesus is saying to them, only the gospel truth, only I can give you spiritual freedom, true freedom, freedom from sin's power, from sin's plan, from sin's control, 
Freedom from spiritual blindness, spiritual oppression, freedom from the, the, the fear of death and fear of judgment. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But the Jews here missed it. They don't believe it. In fact, these words infuriated them. We're going to see at the end of this chapter, they actually literally pick up stones and start throwing them to kill them. Why are they so angry? Why? Why? Because they could not acknowledge their sin. That's their main heart issue. They could not acknowledge their sin. There's always an excuse. There's always false assurance. They are unwilling to confront their sin. They're unwilling to turn from their sin. And that's, by the way, what ultimately separates a true disciple from a false disciple. A true disciple, the, the real disciple, comes to the word of God and they, and they humbly embrace it. They, they are willing to change in light of it. But the false disciple, the fake disciple, comes to the word of God and they only want what Jesus offers them without giving up any of their ways. I want all the blessings, all the benefit, but none of the heart change, none of the obedience. They are unwilling to turn from themselves, unwilling to turn from their sin. And so Jesus says something to them in this moment that is stunning, so shocking. Verse 35, he says this, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And you're like, what's so shocking about that? Oh, I can't wait to tell you. This is so strong. Jesus does the unimaginable here with these words, cuts them right to the core. The crowd with Jesus was thinking. Remember the context. Context is always king when you read the Bible. That's why context matters. The crowd with Jesus there is thinking, we are sons of Abraham. We are God's elect covenant people. We have the law, we're the keepers of it. We have the, the prophets, we're the keepers of it. We have the, the covenants as well. It's all ours. We belong to God because we belong to our father, Abraham. And to that, Jesus says, oh no, no, no. See this in the text. You are not sons, you're slaves. And slaves do not remain in the house, Jesus says. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about there? Again, remember the context. They are talking about Abraham. And do you remember what happened with Abraham? God promises Abraham a son, that he will be blessed. Give him a son, the nations will be blessed through him. But time goes on, years and years actually. If I can remember back, how many years ago? 17 years ago to my Genesis class. I think it's 17 years of waiting. Something like this. A lot of waiting. Some of you think, man, God's not answering me. Try 17 years. You can't make it a month. Right? 17 years of waiting. That's patience. But it wasn't really patient. Because what happens? God promises a son. And Abraham and his wife, Sarah, are not having kids. They're seemingly unable. And so 
Sarah and Abraham have this great idea, they think. Sarah's like, it's not happening, man. We gotta have another plan. God must have missed it. And so what happens? What does Abraham do? He makes a decision to sleep with his slave, Hagar. And together, she gets pregnant. And together, they have a son named Ishmael. And what ultimately happens to Hagar and Ishmael? They are sent away, right? They are sent away from the house, sent out of the home of Abraham. Now, because God is so good and so gracious and so loving, we learn that he still cares for Hagar and Ishmael and her entire family. But, but, there is a consequence still. And they do not receive any of the inheritance, none of the blessing of Abraham. They're out. They're sent away. And what does Jesus now say to these Jewish people in John 8? He says, you think you're Abraham's son? Oh, you are. But not the son you think. You think you're Isaac. You're Ishmael. You're a slave. You're not an heir. There's no inheritance coming for you. Because why? Because the slave doesn't stay in the house forever. Only the son does. Which means what? You're out of the kingdom. There's no blessing for you. I mean, honestly, again, it it can't get more intense. It cannot get any stronger. Do you understand why the Jews now, they literally pick up stones and start throwing it at this man? Listen to what he's just said to them. So strong. And the words get stronger because, again, Jesus goes from that to then saying, oh, and you do have a father, but not the father you think. Because newsflash, it's not even an Abraham issue. It's a God the Father issue because your father isn't God. It's the devil. And I know that because you're living your lives just like him. You lie, you cheat, you steal, you murder, you slander. On and on and on he goes. He says in verse 44, there's no truth in him and there's no truth in you. I keep telling you the truth. I keep giving you the opportunity again and again and again to walk into the light, to come to the truth, but you do not believe me. And the reason you do not hear me, the reason you don't listen is because of what? What again? He says, you don't belong to God. And because you do not belong to God, you are not free. That's the message. So what's the benefit of true discipleship? It's freedom from the bondage of sin. Freedom to become a son. Freedom to become a daughter. Freedom to become an heir, to receive the inheritance. Freedom to receive God's blessing, which is eternal life with him forever. Jesus' message to the crowd that day and to us is simple, but oh so profound. And it's summed up in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is Jesus' core message to us today. That freedom is found in Christ alone. Total freedom from sin's deception, its power, its punishment, its penalty, and its presence. Forever free. Forever free. This is the gospel. I 
that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Why? Because the spirit of life in Christ has set us free. Amen? Listen. Listen, here's the, here's the hard and harsh reality that we all need to deal with today. Don't, don't leave here today without wrestling with your heart on this. We all need to face this. It's a must. Throughout the scriptures, we see people who are following Jesus. We see people who said they believed. And Jesus says, you do not belong to me. You're not really with me. In fact, look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. This is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the hardest things to swallow that Jesus ever said. For a long time, this was the most frightening verse in the whole Bible for me. A long time. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Jesus says this to the crowd. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, the one who obeys, who follows my word. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Did we not serve for you? Did we not do things for you, live our lives because of you? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are people who say they know Jesus. They even believe they are doing work for Jesus. They're even around genuine followers of Jesus. And Jesus will say to them, I do not know you. And so the question for us today is this. Is that you? When you face Jesus someday, and someday we all will, what will he say to you? What is he going to say? Do you know what he's going to say? Here's how you can know. A genuine follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who perseveres in their faith. They're the ones who endure through blessing and times of suffering. Even in the midst of persecution, they keep on keep oning. (laughs) They're faithful to the end. They are lovingly obedient to Jesus and his word. That's a true believer. That's a true follower of Jesus. That's a son. That's a daughter. That's a person who's been set free from the bondage of sin, a person who's been completely forgiven. That's the person to whom Jesus will one day say, welcome home. Jesus's message to all of us today is this, FEC family. It's this. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So run to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Cling to him. Hold tightly to his word. Obey it and experience in that, experience the freedom that he and he alone can give. Let me pray for you. I'll ask the praise team to join me back.
on the stage.